Hello and welcome to the Allplane Podcast, here with the people that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. And as usual, before I introduce today's guest, the usual reminder that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, on the Allplane website. That's allplane.tv. A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today, we're back to one of our favorite topics, electric aviation. Our guest is Mark Ausman, founder and CEO of Airflow, one of the startups that are farther down the road when it comes to developing a viable electric aircraft. Mark has made quite a career at the intersection of aviation and technology. After flying P-3 maritime patrol aircraft for the US Navy for a few years, he went on to work for a number of technology startups. He even built and sold an aerospace technology firm before joining the Airbus Bahana project, which a few years ago was one of the pioneers in the eVTOL space. Actually, quite a few people that work at the Bahana project ended up creating other startups in the advanced air mobility space. And one of them is Airflow. At Airflow, Mark and his team have opted for an eStall concept that is electric short takeoff and landing, starting with hybrid propulsion with the idea to later switch on to fully electric flight. The aircraft they are developing should make it financially and operationally feasible to fly both passengers and cargo to and from thousands of runways that are currently underused. The idea has already been endorsed by some 15 customers that have placed orders for Airflow's nine-seater aircraft. But let's not get ahead of ourselves here and let me welcome Mark to the podcast. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good afternoon. Great to talk with you today. Well, good afternoon for me, but good morning to you because you... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Europe, but you are uh, nine hours uh, behind mm-hmm. in, uh, in California, uh, yes. right? In the Bay Area. Yes. Great. So let me first introduce you very briefly. Uh, you are the founder and, and the CEO of Airflow, which is a very interesting startup in electric aviation. But like every other guest, I just want to ask you to introduce yourself. After that, we're going to move on to your, your project and your, your technology and, and what you guys are doing. But just give us a little bit of a, of a feel about your, your background and, and your connection to aviation. Yeah, Mikhail, happy to, to do that. Um, I've been around aviation my whole life. It's a very, very exciting space. Uh, my father was an airline pilot. My mother was a stewardess. And um, when they got married, they had a few kids. And so I was the, the oldest child. And, um, you know, my, my dad flew commercially, of course, but he also had a, a, a Bonanza, which is a small uh, piston-powered single-engine aircraft. And so we would go out and fly that on occasion. Uh, and his friends were pilots as well, too. And so we would go to lots of air shows and fly-ins and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I uh, ended up getting my pilot's license in college and uh, then went on to the Navy to fly P3s. And the Navy is, ended up being based out of Barbers Point, Hawaii, which is now closed. But at the time was, a, of course, a great duty being on Oahu uh, for, you know, for my first uh, tour. And then we did two deployments from there to the Middle East uh, during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then another deployment after that. So you know the you know the oceans as if it was uh, yeah, your home pretty much ah, you you know the Pacific Ocean like as if it the, was your living room. <laughs> well, yeah, it all kind of looks the same after a while. You can fly for a lot of hours and still see ocean. But yeah, we flew in the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean is where we spent most of our time. And you know, as the Navy, we fly mostly uh, feet feet wet, meaning we fly over the water. We don't do much flying over land. 
chasing submarines. Uh, and chasing submarines. And, you know, when I, when I joined the Navy, the, um, you know, with Glasnost and the Russians had basically parked all their submarines. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I think they've been parked until just recently, uh, but um, they parked all their submarines. And so, you know, in finest military fashion, we were looking for something to do. Uh, and the, the P-3 is actually a very capable uh, airborne radar platform. It can stay on station for 12 hours. Uh, and we have some really interesting, interesting technology on board the aircraft uh, for, for targeting and for searching for, for different vessels on the ocean. Uh, and so um, we did uh, kind of, we trained for, for prosecuting submarines, but we also trained for what's called over the horizon targeting, mm -hmm. which is where we would go search for uh, vessels in the sea. And then we had weapons mm -hmm. on board that could target and, those. And now we um, have all these, uh, now we have all these applications like marine traffic. Well, the people we were looking for didn't generally report their position yeah, well, uh, over I, the internet. So I can, you know, I can so, guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was, that was exciting times uh, flying around the world in a plane with a crew of 12 people. And, um, and then off to the Navy uh, is kind of a transition to civilian life, went to grad school for two years and got an MBA uh, in, in Texas. Uh, and then actually worked in the tech industry for seven years as a product manager for various enterprise software startups. And, and that was pretty exciting, but uh, really always wanted to find a chance to get back into aviation uh, and, and wasn't really too impressed with the innovation going on in the industry. It's very, very incremental uh, and very, very conservative approach to new technologies. And it's understandable that that's the approach that the industry takes because safety is, is key. Uh, but had the opportunity to go uh, work with Eclipse Aviation, which brought to market the world's first very light jet. And that was started by uh, actually a, a, an early Microsoft employee. So, you know, the idea was to bring kind of this tech mindset to the aerospace industry and disrupt the aviation industry and change the economics of travel and therefore changing the way that the, the, the um, ability to travel and to print costs down to a way where people would start thinking about using air travel and specifically regional air travel uh, rather than driving you know, or using cars or trains or something instead. And in Europe, trains are very popular. In the US, they're not so popular. So you're, the main competition for regional air travel is, is either cars or, or aircraft. And today, aircraft are way more expensive. And what we were trying to do at Eclipse at the time was to bring that cost down so that air travel would be an option. And it was enabled by a new technology, specifically a very small turbine engine uh, that turned out didn't actually work as advertised, but that was the promise was this small turbine engine could revolutionize air travel. Today, we see that same dynamic, but the technology enabler is electric propulsion. And so it's kind of Eclipse 2.0 in many ways, uh, you know, you could debate that all day, but uh, I see a lot of similarities. Uh, mm -hmm. We see things like high volume manufacturing. We see uh, greatly reduced operating costs. Um, and, and we see the ability for people to travel um, outside of kind of these major airline hubs, either with, you know, today with Vertiports or with smaller airports that are underutilized today. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, actually, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So I was just going to say that that was really an exciting opportunity. Uh, and um and then actually after that, started a company to make avionics for small aircraft and, and sold that uh, about seven years later and then worked, consulted for various different, uh, very early companies doing autonomy, doing uh, EV tolls and um, ended up with something pretty exciting, which was the Airbus Vahana program. And that was a technology demonstrator, or let me back up just a bit. Airbus had set up a Silicon Valley outpost to explore new technologies on a project basis. And one of the projects in, in uh, this, this outpost was called A-Cubed, and A-Cubed had several projects going on at one time. One of the projects was the Vahana program, which was an electric 
a VTOL or vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And it was a technology demonstrator. It was the first time Airbus or, or for anybody for that matter had really flown an electric vertical lift aircraft with multiple rotors and electric motors and, and pure battery electric aircraft. So it was very exciting, very successful. And those learnings were transferred back to Airbus when the program wound down. So that was really the genesis of, of Airflow at that point. Yeah, I, actually, um, this Airbus Bahana, it didn't really uh, consolidate into something long term, but actually it, uh, it was a sort of a, I don't know if it's the right word, but not a school, but it gave to the, to the industry a whole generation of, of people, of entrepreneurs that are now in a whole range of different companies and, and, and doing impactful things. It is, it is. You know, we, we left and uh, started Airflow. There's people who went over to Archer. There's some who went to Joby. There's some who are at Overair. So really, uh, you know, a, a lot of experience that we gained on that program people have taken to, to other programs, which are, are generally startup companies. Yeah. Um, and you'd said it never made it into production. And, and it's kind of a lot of confusion in that area. There's, it was never really intended to be a production aircraft. A-cubed is, is to explore new technologies that really don't fit into the normal uh, P&L responsibility of the other business units within Airbus. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so there, there were all these different kind of exciting programs going on and exploring new technologies. In our case, our goal was to design and uh, build and fly this aircraft. We flew over 140 flights and, uh, in, in, you know, through the whole envelope. And I think the last flight was about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it really, you know, just all the learnings from that um, mm -hmm. have w went back to Europe. You can imagine that the future of a sort of vertical lift aircraft for Airbus isn't going to happen in Silicon Valley. It's going to happen in Europe. Yeah, and so actually, the learnings, yeah. yeah. No, I was just wanted to clarify, I, I was not, very accurate in, in the description um, because actually Airbus doesn't, hasn't given up in the, uh, on this concept. It recently presented a, an eVTOL concept as well. just want to say it, did, it didn't, um, didn't crystallize. In, I mean, it didn't have a continuity as such. So as a, as a, as a Bahana was under, under the label Bahana. Right. It, it just had continuity, but in different ways. Yeah. So, it, you know, along with Bahana in Silicon Valley, uh, Airbus was also running something called City Airbus out of Donauwerth, Germany, which was another multi-copter approach. So there was these two different programs that were meant to explore this new technology and the mm -hmm. use of electric motors and batteries for vertical lift aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. then I think the learnings from both of those programs and, and we're, you know, I'm not involved with this anymore, so I can't give any specific mm -hmm. details, but you know, the learnings from those programs basically informed Airbus's decision about this program that they announced recently. And I, mm -hmm. I believe that is intention of that is to move forward as a production aircraft. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, that, that didn't come out of nowhere. There's a, a whole, this whole experience of, of many years right. working in this, right. in this field. Right. So Airflow, you then, after Airbus, started uh, Airflow straight away? Or what's the story? Well, I, I spent some time exploring, uh, after Airbus, exploring where the opportunities were. I think the key thing that the learning from the Airbus program was that, you know, EV tolls or electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft represent only one of many, many opportunities to introduce electric aviation to the, the aerospace market. And while there was a lot of hype, and I got to say, you know, Uber at the time, Uber had Uber Elevate, which was a program to promote the, the use of electric uh, VTOL aircraft uh, to move people around cities. They did a wonderful job of, of really bringing a lot of attention to this space. And, you know, everybody jumped into this and everybody said it's got the huge market opportunity and 
Uh, a lot of startups, you know, raise money based on those reports and Uber and, and, was going to be a customer. And uh, many professionals as well that went through that project. Actually, yes. one of the yes. recent, uh, most recent podcasts I did here with a, a battery expert, we talk also about uh, Uber Elevate because mm -hmm. uh, he had yeah. also been in touch with uh, some of the guys involved there. Yeah. No, I think they, they did a great job of, of, of really catalyzing the investment community and the industry and everybody around this idea of electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for this called urban air mobility mission or moving people around cities. Uh, you know, and, and using airports or mostly, you know, the tops of skyscrapers or buildings or vacant land in cities, if there is such a thing. And, uh, it, and so they really did a great job of catalyzing it. Ultimately, Uber, you know, had other priorities that they had to sort out and, and drop the program. But again, that was another program where the people from that, you know, from Uber Elevate went into industry and, and are, you know, kind of scattered about, but, have, you know, brought a lot to the table in terms of moving the thinking and moving the industry forward. So that, that was really great. But the, the downside of that, or I don't know if downside is the right word, but what, one of the side effects of that is, is, is that everybody was focused on this one specific use case. And in fact, there's many other use cases for electric aviation and, 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 and moving aviation in general to a more sustainable future and to building aircraft with capabilities that really don't exist with traditional aircraft. And, and when we realized that there were these other use cases and, and other types of aircraft uh, that we could develop and make better with electric aviation, that's when we started Airflow. And, and uh, the, the use case that we've uh, ultimately settled on is, is the use of a e-stoller electric short takeoff and landing aircraft, which is a fixed wing aircraft, looks like a very conventional aircraft, but has a lot of smaller electric motors with propellers along the front of the wings. And, and that type of aircraft can be used to fly from airport to airport uh, within regions. And we define a region as typically less than a 500 mile uh, flight. And, and so the, as you may know, around the United States and around the world, there's a ton of these smaller airports and many are very, very much underutilized. They're not utilized at all by the airlines or commuter airlines or anything. And so they're they don't get a lot of activity, but they're great assets that can be used for the transportation infrastructure. The challenge is there haven't been aircraft that really are economically viable to, to make that model work when you fly into these smaller airports. Mm -hmm. And we believe that electric aviation ultimately will make, will make great use of these underutilized assets in the United States and throughout the world mm -hmm. by bringing down the operating costs, by moving to quieter operations, and by moving us all to a, a more sustainable future. You've been sort of an evangelist for this type of, of model. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got some, some interesting blog posts on, on your website. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a link when you, you, you explain okay. the differences in the short-haul uh, regional electric flight mm -hmm. uh, or with conventional takeoff and landing. Well, east also short. Uh, I mean, yeah. you require less runway than a... Less runway, but you can think of it as a CTOL or yeah. conventional takeoff and landing yeah. as well. The, the only difference really is, is, is the length of runway you can get into. Yeah. But yeah. they're both intended to be used primarily off of airports mm -hmm. and not helipads. Mm -hmm. right? The VTOLs are primarily used for helipads. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, we, we look at what we're doing with the fixed wing aircraft and what others are doing with the VTOLs is very complementary. They're mm -hmm. two very different mission sets. And one of the blogs outlines that. Basically, mm -hmm. we say that, you know, eVTOLs have the, the unique capability of eVTOLs is that they can take off and land vertically, which means they can take off and land in a very small space. Mm -hmm. um, although we require a very short runway, you still can't, you know, it's still 
putting a runway on top of a building is different than putting a helipad. <laughs> and so we think that, you know, the VTOLs are great where you actually have a mission where you do need to take off or land on top of a building in a very small space. Uh, in our aircraft is best utilized for use cases where you in fact do have airports or very, very short runways. Yeah. Um, the main difference between these two is, is the operating costs. So anything with, with vertical lift capability will always cost more to operate and uh, you know, than a fixed wing aircraft. And so we can do it for less cost, uh, but we need to do it between airports. If you need to take off and land from buildings, that's great. Use VTOLs for that purpose. You're going to pay a little bit more for it, actually quite a bit more for it, but uh, nevertheless, it's a, it's a great capability to have. And so the two types of aircraft are very complementary. In, yeah. in that regard. And, and, and once you realize that, you know, that, 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 you know, that's what we realized early on is that we don't really, you know, moving ahead with an EV toll is a use case, but there are other use cases that we want to go after as well. And so we took a little bit of a different path than the, the, the hype around the industry was at the time and, and still is for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to be 100% electric or you are also considering hybrid versions our first of, aircraft yeah yeah our first aircraft will be a hybrid think of it like a prius and the mm -hmm. prius was out you know 15 years before the tesla model s uh and 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 so you get you get some benefits with the prius as a stepping stone to getting to full battery electric mm -hmm. and for very short range flights like ev tolls are, are targeting you know or like let's say 50 miles or or, or less an EV toll makes a lot of sense. And the EV tolls, most EV tolls are being designed as a pure battery electric solution. Mm -hmm. That's fine because their range is, is about 50 miles max. Uh, once you consider all the knockdowns required for commercial service and, and flight planning. Um, for, for what we're doing, when we say regional flights, up to 500 miles in all weather conditions with de-ice, with IFR reserves, meaning uh, extra reserves required by regulations in order to fly in bad weather. Um, and you need, do need to be able to fly in bad weather to have reliable commercial service. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, you, the, today's batteries just are not there, just full stop, just can't get there. So um, we have to adapt a hybrid electric solution and that will, you know, that will allow us to develop an aircraft that is really, we believe, commercially viable, have better performance, lower operating costs than today's comparable existing aircraft, and be able to open up this regional air mobility market. Mm -hmm. I'm going to post uh, some, some renderings and, and links on the show notes, but just to, to give a, a very brief description of the sort of aircraft we are talking about here, is a nine-seater. Correct. So it's nine passengers plus the crew? Plus the pilot, yes. One pilot. One pilot is required. Uh, a lot of these uh, uh, commuter airlines and uh, regional airlines fly with two pilots. Okay. And you have, um, that's interesting, it's a distributed propulsion. So that means you have uh, lots of uh, small electric uh, motors all over the, the wing. So it's a mm -hmm. high wing with these motors. What advantages does this technology bring? So this is called this is called blown wing technology, and the way we're achieving blown wing technology is with something else called distributed electric propulsion. And blown wing technology has actually been around for for decades, and, and it's been tried by NASA and others in the past. Uh, and the challenge is that with turbine engines or piston engines, uh, you, you, it, it ends up being a very very complex, mechanically complex system that you know, isn't commercially viable from a cost or reliability perspective. And so it never really made it past the R&D stage. But once you have electric propulsion, you can actually, you know, electric motors are very, very reliable, very simple, run at very low temperatures. 
and and so you can and it also scale up and they scale down very in a very linear fashion in terms of power versus weight and so we can put small electric motors along the leading edge of the wing and that allows us to to blow the wing and basically you know blow the air over the wing rather than having to move the whole aircraft with the wing fast enough to to do that so so the the blown wing technology is now with distributed electric propulsion is now uh, uh, the, that technology allows us to to implement blown wing technology in a commercially viable manner where it's reliable it's cost competitive and it actually it actually works really really well and so what that allows us to do is it allows us to design an aircraft with a wing that is much smaller than a normal wing would need to be. Therefore, in, in, in cruise, it's more efficient because it's smaller. And at low air speeds, we just blow air over the wing to, to get more lift. Uh, and so we achieve more lift with a smaller wing. Normally, a wing that small couldn't hold up the aircraft. It's low air speeds. The airplane would stall. But when you blow air over the wing, then you, then you get more lift and you can um, use that smaller wing. When you have the low air speeds, you know, the ability to fly slowly, you can then approach a runway and land at a lower air speed, meaning you can stop more quickly as well, too. Mm-hmm. The, the other benefit is the uh, with the smaller propellers. So if you have a disc that's, say, uh, six feet across versus a disc that's three feet across running at the same RPM, the tip of those, 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 those propeller blades will will run at a will be at a slower speed than on the smaller disc than on the larger disc. And so if you have one propeller on the front of an aircraft versus a bunch of smaller propellers, you're going to have lower tip speeds and, and, and that's what generates the noise. It's one of the things that generates mm. a lot of noise is the tip of the propeller. So when you run the tip of the propeller at lower air, lower speeds, you have less noise. So we, okay. we we also, you know, plus the electric motors and everything gets you lower, lower noise overall too. So all these factors contributing to lower noise, better performance, meaning lower, uh, lower approach speeds, higher cruise speeds in a traditional aircraft. And then the third aspect is once you have electric motors, they don't really care where the uh, energy or the electrons come from, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, you can have a turbo generator, which is like the Prius kind of approach, yep. which is what we're doing now, because that's really the only commercially viable approach so that's that's that jet fuel uh driving the generator right it's it's jet fuel or sustainable aviation fuel depending on what the operator wants to run so so we can get the check in the box for sustainability with a turbo generator by running sustainable Mm -hmm. aviation fuel and when i say we i mean our operators we don't operate the aircraft we sell it to uh, people and companies that and operators that that do fly the aircraft Mm -hmm. and and then we've also partnered with plug power and uh, uh, yeah. Plug Power is a publicly traded company that's been in the hydrogen business for, for a couple of decades now. Uh, really has some great uh, fuel cell technology. Yeah, I wanted uh, to ask also, you about that, about that deal because yeah. uh, I, I remember reading about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can, we can now, uh, so let me talk about the technology and sure, yeah, how yeah, we're yeah. applying it and then Plug Power. But, um, w- you know, we, we can take out the turbo generator and I'm simplifying greatly, of course, but you can take out the turbo generator and then you can plug in a hydrogen fuel cell. Mm-hmm. And, and generate electrons with the fuel cell. Yeah. Uh, and, and then ultimately, we believe at some point in the future, when batteries evolve, uh, we'd like to put, you know, take out the hydrogen fuel cell and put batteries in there. Yeah. Um, or run the hydrogen fuel cell for other use cases. You'll probably always have longer range with the hydrogen fuel cell than you will with batteries mm-hmm. as, as that technology improves too. So, yeah. so, and, and so both of those are, are, are sustainable, you know, solutions. And, and I think that, um, I mean, there's all kinds of other considerations around, uh, you know, batteries and, 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 uh, and hydrogen, but we won't get into those here. 
but let's just assume that you know kind of the, the, the front end of the of, of those and the back end meaning the creation of the batteries and then the recycling part of the batteries or the the the, the electrolyzing the hydrogen and, and all that you know that will all get better over time and, and more efficient and we'll kind of sort through that um our responsibility is really to figure out how to utilize those in you know in aviation itself what about the cost because we are under the assumption that this is going to be uh, cheaper to operate than uh, today's conventional aircraft, and that's what allows for this more mm-hmm. distributed mm-hmm. mobility. What order of magnitude in terms of uh, cost savings, uh, operational cost savings, we are talking about here? Well, we're, we're taking this incremental approach uh, to, to the market because if we went to a pure battery electric solution right away, which we could and would actually technically be easier to do, Um, we wouldn't be able to sell many of the aircraft. It just wouldn't have the range and capabilities that our customers need today. So there's very limited use cases for a pure battery electric you know, regional aircraft. Um, like I said, a VTOL that flies short range, great for batteries, but for, for longer regional flights, there's, there's very limited use cases. Um, and so we believe the best way to move to a sustainable future is to take this incremental approach where each approach is commercially viable at the time that that technology is introduced, right? If we introduced something that was, uh, like I said, a pure battery electric solution, we just wouldn't sell many of them. I don't think it would ever really get a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. And we know that because we've talked to a lot of companies who operate aircraft and they just say, you know, it's, it's a non-starter. So the hybrid is, is, is the first step there. And we believe that the hybrid electric solution will get about a 30% overall cost savings. Mm-hmm. And that comes from multiple different factors. Um, but the overall 30% cost savings And then if we look ahead, say 15, 20 years, when we can take the pilot out of the cockpit and move to an autonomous aircraft, when we will have batteries that are low cost and high energy density, and that makes sense, we can save as much as 70% over today's operating costs. Yeah. And so if you look at this path over the next, say, 20 years, moving from, from 30% savings you know, when the aircraft is released to 70% when there's some new technology and some change in the regulations, um, you know, That, that change over time really is going to, is going to drive this movement based primarily through lower costs to getting mm-hmm. people to, to fly rather than drive. And that means removing congestion from the roads. That means saving time. Uh, and just flying is pretty damn cool, being in the air and, 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 and getting the view. And, you know, we're not going to be flying at 30,000 feet. We're going to be flying at a few thousand feet over the ground people will, will be much more connected to the environment around them uh, and, and, and flying into these small airports that are right near where you live is mm-hmm. going to be an amazing experience. I wanted to ask you about this point because I guess you are planning, your business model is to be an OEM to uh, make the planes and then sell them to operators. Correct. What type of operator are you envisaging here? Are you thinking about uh, existing local or regional carriers? Uh, are you expecting uh, new operators that will spring up to, to service this new, new demand? Well, we, well, we're not just envisioning. We have, uh, we have 15 customers today who have signed letters of intent, mm-hmm. and they have all indicated interest in, in this type of aircraft. 15? Wow. 15, yeah. And we haven't announced most of them, but um, we've announced a few. They're up on our website in the news page. Um, For but, how many um, aircraft in, in total? Uh, w- like, well, I can't really announce that right now. Okay. I think we've announced uh, we've announced part part of the orders. We haven't announced all the orders, but okay, no problem. Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's all coming out in due, in due yeah. time. But the point is mm-hmm. that 
you know, we looked at early in the company's life, we looked at multiple different markets and we're not able to get LOIs from other, other markets. They just weren't ready to sort of commit to this new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 what we learned was that the, the, the market entry strategy is to really take the path of least resistance. How do we fit into the way things work today? Right. And, and I learned this kind of back from my soft enterprise software days is if you want to sell enterprise software into a company, you got to sell it and it's got to, it's got to you know, fit in with the systems they already have in place today. Yeah. Like you can't go in and expect them to set up a whole new infrastructure just to run your software. So yeah. if you fit into the way things work, you know, it's much easier to make a sale. Yes. And, and so uh, uh, that's, that's really the, the key things now on the, you know, um, and, and so those, Certain markets really weren't interested in moving in this direction quite yet, but mm-hmm. the customers that we do have are in the regional charter market. Basically, they fly aircraft today, um, and they char- You know, they have kind of these scheduled operations. So they'll, they'll, they have kind of places where they normally fly, and you say, "I want to fly here today," and they they'll take you there. Um, some offer per seat schedule flights. Some offer you can charter the whole aircraft. But the point is, most of our customers fly aircraft today. They fly uh, old, really old and great aircraft like Beavers and Otters. They fly, um, when I say newer, this is a 40-year-old design aircraft like a Cessna Caravan, kind of a workhorse uh, you know, aircraft in the industry. Mm-hmm. The logistics industry uses it a lot for regional uh, air cargo. Um, yeah, and, you even sold you an know, amphibious, uh, you even sold an amphibian version, right? For uh, right, right. Tailwind, tailwind aviation in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so Tailwind, for example, flies caravans today with, with floats. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the beavers have floats, otters have floats. So the, these types of aircraft are, are, are designed in a way that you can take the landing gear off and you can put floats on. And there's, there's what are called straight floats, which are just floats that only work in the water. And then there's amphibian floats, which actually have retractable landing gear in them. And you can raise and lower the gear so you can take off on the water and land on, on an airport somewhere. Very, very flexible. And, uh, and so we're, we're going down that same path where you can put, uh, you know, put tires and wheels and tires on it for, for traditional airports. You can put bush tires on it for backcountry flying. You can put floats on it for water flying, either straight floats or amphibs. And so the airplane has a lot of utility and a lot of flexibility. We're also designing it primarily as a cargo aircraft. Uh, and there's some very interesting aspects about the way cargo has evolved over the last, you know, last decade or two mm-hmm. that really, that, that really doesn't, you know, the, the industry's changing in a way that the older aircraft don't really work too well for cargo, even today and looking forward. So our aircraft incorporates some design features that um, really are forward thinking in terms of the, the cargo industry. But what that means is you have a, a very spacious cabin for passengers as well, too. You just got to put some windows and a nice interior in it, and some seats, and you end up with a great passenger aircraft as well yeah. that can fly these missions. Yeah, I, I checked on your website. Um, it says it, it can carry in a cargo configuration, it can carry a 800 or nine, 900 kilos, something like that. Right, no, about 900 kilos or 2,000 pounds of, of cargo. Yeah. And, uh, and we're actually, you know, that's, that's evolved. It's ballpark, but somewhere in that range, we're actually doing some deeper analysis to refine that uh-huh. figure, but ballpark. Yeah. So about Neil, that number. About a ton just to round it up a little bit. Yes. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. A ton, mm-hmm. 2000 pounds or so of cargo mm-hmm. or 900 kilos. And, uh, and that's really where we found the sweet spot. And the reason there's a sweet spot there is because the regulations, at least in the U S and it kind of varies around the world a little bit, but for the most part of the U S you, you, 
the part one, so these, these uh, operators that I told you about earlier, the one to our customers are classified under what are called part 135 operators. That means part 135 of the federal aviation regulations uh, describes how they need to run their business in order to collect money to, to carry people and cargo in, in aircraft. And those regulations stipulate that you can only carry nine, maximum of nine passengers. Uh, and if you want to go above nine passengers, you end up with a whole different, more complex set of regulations. Yeah. And so the nine seat market is kind of where the industry has, has evolved uh, to, to support that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you are, you are designing the plane. Are you going to, to manufacture it as well? We, we are designing it uh, uh -huh. and we are going to build it. Uh -huh. uh, now, when, when we say build it, that, that could mean a lot of different things, right? And the question is, you know, how much, how vertically integrated are we in terms of yeah. building it? Do we, that was my know, question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think it's too early to really dive into the details of that, but, but I'll, I'll say that, you know, as an OEM, we have some decisions to make around that thing. There's a lot of companies in the U.S. and around the world, actually, that will make, you know, substructures or, you know, make a fuselage and, or make a wing or make a tail section or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and, and so I would say at minimum, we're going to be assembling sub substructures that we get from other, uh, other companies. At most we'll be, you know, building all the structure ourselves yeah. and then yeah. putting into it uh, the motors yeah. and the batteries and the, and the uh, other components, avionics, mm -hmm. um, and yeah. other systems that are come from various suppliers, you know, around mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. Even like the large jets, like Boeing, for example, they also, mm -hmm. um, have plenty of uh, subcontractors making big parts of, of, of the it, jets oh, yeah. as well. So yes, yes, <laughs> it's very, really common. very common. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. If you look at at Boeing, you know their their facility like up in Everett, and they have another one on the East Coast. Yeah, they they just they assemble. I don't want to trivialize it. It's certainly very a lot of work and very skilled people mm -hmm. doing the work. But they they assemble. You know, they assemble sections of aircraft together. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, they get the landing gear in from somebody and they get a fuselage section in from somebody else and a tail section from somebody else and the avionics come, you know, and they put it all together and it's a pretty amazing, uh, you know, manufacturing operation. But that, that's sort of what they've decided to do. Yeah. Um, Tell me about the, the company. Airflow is based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh-huh. And uh, the, it was founded by five, five people who all, we all met on the Airbus Vahana program. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we, we all recognize the challenges and opportunities of the EV toll market and um, all thought that there was a, you know, there are other ways to bring electric propulsion to market that are, we think, um, we think actually have a, a larger market opportunity that have a, a more well-known and well-defined market opportunity. In other words, the market exists today. When you look at the VTOL market, the market actually doesn't exist today. Uh, there, there is no market for helicopters moving in between buildings and cities, you know, uh, Sao Paulo, Mexico city, there's a little bit of that, but for most U S cities and European cities that it, it's very, very, you know, either is, is banned outright or, um, or is very limited traffic due to cost. Yeah. And, and so, so, you know, we think that that's a very speculative market and, um, yeah. we think a better approach to bring electric aviation to market is by fitting into the way things work today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I read, a, read a couple of articles, uh, well-documented articles that were making this point, actually, from written by mm -hmm. independent analysts that, um, yeah, we're, we're a bit skeptical about the EV toll urban air mobility market. Then I know, I mean, there's other, I, I know other, yeah. other, other operators, other, other analysts that are, are, have a different opinion, that are very, very bullish, uh, but there, there, there's, there's certainly a high level of risk. 
that's undeniable in uh, in this there is it's, this market. It's yeah. certainly an exciting opportunity. I you know I hope it goes well. I, I don't have any crystal ball that's different from anybody else's mm -hmm. crystal ball. So mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, all I have is my opinion, and, and those are uh, those are you know there 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 are many of those out there today. Yeah. So yeah. all we can do is say like the people are doing that. You know, let's support them. Let's mm -hmm. see how this goes moving forward. Uh, and, uh, and and hope it um, hope it prevails. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you also about uh, another another aspect of your project. Um, here on the podcast uh, a few months ago, I had a conversation with uh, Lukas Kessner from uh, from Germany from the Sustainable mm -hmm. Aerolab, and mm -hmm. I think you participated in the in their program, right? Uh, we did the startup did. program. So what what's the I mean what what was your involvement with Sustainable Aerolab? I'm just just curious. Uh, so they have a process that they take uh, you know startup companies through, and uh, the reason we did Sustainable Aerolab was that we wanted to get some more exposure and introduction into people in Europe, and it's based out of Hamburg, Germany, and uh, you you basically just uh, meet on a regular basis and, and talk about progress and get feedback and other you know other things like that. So it's it's very it's very low touch. It's very easy to do. You don't you know you don't have to go go in every day and do you know they they, they don't ask for equity or any doesn't cost anything. So it's it's very easy to do, and they bring in some great people from all around the industry, from all around the world. So mm -hmm. I would say you know the the key benefit of that was really um, getting input and perspective from from different people who work in different parts of the industry from all around the world. And then being able to meet, you know, meet these kind of people and make introductions and, and that. So I, I thought it was a very wor wor worthwhile effort. Uh, and, and I would certainly recommend it to uh, any other startups doing any kind of sustainable aviation startups. And, you know, by the way, they, they, you know, they don't just do air, air, aircraft OEMs. As a matter of fact, I think the majority no, of they do what they do of, is not, not aircraft OEMs. All sorts of technologies. Yeah. Enabling technologies and, and different aspects of, 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 of aerospace and um, mm -hmm. you know what's really really exciting though is, is 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 this point in history right now that we're seeing more money more interest more people coming into aerospace you know it's generally been you, you don't see that much sort of industry it's been a very insular industry where it's kind of the same players kind of doing very very incremental stuff mm -hmm. not a lot of new people come in and, and it's primarily because it's a highly regulated industry and there really wasn't an opportunity for, for change. It was kind of the same technologies moving forward. Uh, right now with electric propulsion, I think there's really an inflection point in the industry where, where new players can come in and really introduce some new exciting stuff. There's a combination of autonomy uh, technology, kind of, you know, machine learning, all that being smart enough, kind of yeah. really coming, coming together. It's a perfect storm of, you know, that's one aspect of it. Electric propulsion is another aspect. You know, yeah. those two technologies aren't necessarily, don't have to be linked together. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and just um, uh, a whole lot of capital coming in to support this and interest in sort of this next generation of mobility, recognizing that, you know, cities are clogged, that traffic is an issue, that people want to move around. Mobility is really uh, a big thing. And if aerospace can really contribute to that and recognizing we have this massively underutilized infrastructure in the U.S. and around the world, that mm -hmm. perhaps electric aircraft could, in fact, um, provide a way to utilize those in an economic and commercially viable manner. Mm -hmm. That would be great. 
So, so it's really, really exciting. I started a company in, in 2006, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, but it was uh, making avionics for small aircraft and nobody was interested in investing in, in aviation stuff at the time. Like it was really hard to, uh, you know, to get, to get people interested in this, uh, in this business. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's quite the opposite. There's, as yeah. you know, tons of money coming in and there's lots of interesting ideas and different mm -hmm. technologies. Uh, and uh, we're looking at uh, new air, you know, air traffic control stuff. Drones are driving a lot of this, smaller drones to move, yeah. do deliveries and, and imaging and other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you have this, this confluence of all these different things coming together uh, and investors being interested in the space mm -hmm. uh, that really is, is making for an interesting time in, in the industry for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if, are there any specific uh let's say next milestones you you can comment on at this point anything that uh, we can should be keeping an eye on uh i, I can't say anything other than stay tuned okay <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> yeah yeah well I, i'm I, yeah i'm definitely I'm, I'm following you know i'm following your your channels um where where mm -hmm. would you send people that uh, would like to to learn more about airflow and and to stay on top of what you guys are doing any uh, websites, social media channels, this type of thing. So LinkedIn, airflow.aero has a LinkedIn uh, page and we, we post up there on a regular basis. We also have a newsletter we send out perhaps once a quarter. So if you go on our website, there's a way to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, and then just go visit our, our website at airflow.aero, A-E-R-O. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, there's a news page. You can see recent news announcements. There's a blog where we share some of our thinking on, on the industry. Uh, and then just the latest information is there as well. So, Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today. And uh, definitely, as you said, exciting times for everyone that is following the aviation industry. And so uh, wishing you all the best with, uh, with the project. Hope to see many of these environmentally friendly and, and cheap mm -hmm. aircraft flying soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. you having me on, on the show. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Yeah.